Greetings, faithful listeners. This is Mike from Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I'm joined this week, as I am every week, by your lovely co-host, the bearded, the handsome, the wonderful Kyle. This week we're going to be talking about a topic. No idea what that topic is, but we're going to debate it. We're going to talk about it, and at the end of this episode, we're going to have a definitive top 10 list. Okay, dog, what do we got this week? Okay, Mike, as you know, and I know, at the time of this podcast recording, we're only a few short, short weeks away from the release of Mission Impossible 6 Fallout. I'm so happy. I've been wanting to talk about Mission Impossible. I have no idea what the access point was, but I've been wanting to talk about it, so I'm psyched to hear how you what your angle is. So, at first, I wanted to do top 10 Tom Cruise sidekicks and teammates from the Mission Impossible movie ranked in order from most competent to least competent. Yeah. But it turns out <laughs> they're almost all incredibly incompetent. They're not really good. It They really are kind of doing the LeBron thing. Where they've got one star player and then a bunch of chumps. There and there are a couple of mainstays in this series that are really good at their jobs, and that's why they're around for yeah. as long as they are. I also realized that unless you'd seen all of the Mission Impossible movies, this is going to be a pretty boring pod. And even if you had seen them all, you probably wouldn't remember half of them. Yeah. So I thought, how can we talk about Mission Impossible still? And I... And now that the topic is far broader than that, we're going to be ranking the top 10 spies. And Ooh. they're all fictional because all the real spies that are doing a great job, we have no idea who they are. That is very true. That is a that is a hallmark of yeah. successful spying. <laughs> exactly. Like, if we could do a top 10 non-fictional spies list, that'd be bad news for us. Yes, that would be really bad news. Because that is one thing... <laughs> That the movies, I, it's interesting because I'm, I've always been kind of curious about the portrayal in books and movies of how open spies are with their secret identities. Cause I think they either totally overplay it or underplay it. Because I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that actual super spies, they know you know who they are, like in the community, in the espionage community, like, Nobody's actually an economic attache to the embassy in, like, Marrakesh. And wears that, glasses like that. Right. Like, that dude's a spy, and I bet that all of the local Marrakeshi folk know that this person is a spy, so they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm Bond, James Bond. I'm the, the guy who spies on you. Like, I think there's a reasonable argument to be made for that. I love to imagine, like, um, <laughs> like the one guy knows he's a spy, and uh, they're, like, talking at the water cooler, and then the, the guy who's being spied on is like, hey, I'm just going to the bathroom. I, got, I don't have a wire or anything, and they both have coffee. They're like, ah. Yeah, I agree. I sort of picture, like, your average spy, like the guy who can't play Kumbaya in, uh, in role models. He's just like, you know, or that other person that we went to college with whose voice we like to make fun of sometimes. Hey, guys, I'm just going to the water cooler. I'm not spying on you or anything. I'm not going to pick up a cache of sensitive informations in the parking lot. No, it's all good. I'm just going to dude, dude fest or whatever. Dude, dude guys fest. night. Man, guys, man, yeah, man. night. Dude what was night? it called? Man night. I don't remember. Man yeah, night. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Okay. At any rate. So some, some rules. It, all the, when I say spy, this is inclusive of like secret agents mm-hmm. or in some cases even just like special forces operatives. Basically, if you 
are being paid by an organization, but keeping your identity secret and performing mm-hmm. some kind of espionage or sabotage or intelligence gathering function, you're mm-hmm. you're eligible to be on this list. We so talk, talk to me about undercover cops. So like Brian Spillner from Fast and Furious. No, probably not, right? <sighs> Technically that fits my my list, but I think maybe the organization, I don't know. It just, that doesn't feel quite spy enough for me. I, I don't think so either. Yeah. I'm just trying to establish the ground rules. Cause I don't know. I, this is dumb, but like which organization you belong to makes a difference. And I'm definitely in this frame of mind because I just rewatched Sicario and all of the characters make a really big deal of like, are you CIA or FBI? Even yeah. though they're all operating in the exact same mission, doing the same things, like, it really matters to them which organization you well, are. I actually really like that. Like, that there's, like, this animosity between the two. By the way, have yeah. you seen Sicario 2 yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, looking forward to discussing. Anyways, okay. let's jump into it, because this is yeah. also going to take a while, because I <laughs> there are a lot, like, a surprisingly number, a surprisingly large number yeah. that we're going to have to get through. Mm-hmm. Number 10. Number 10 is... The video game stand-in for this list, because there are a lot of video game spies out there. Oh, okay. I don't think it's who you think it is. There's two options I've got in mind here. I don't think it's either. It, did you ever play the Metal Gear games? Oh, interesting. I, no, I played one. I bought one of them because it got like a 10 out of 10 on IGN, mm-hmm. and I was bored to tears by it. <laughs> they're they're very famous for having like really really lengthy movie quality cutscenes, yeah, like up to an hour long. And mm-hmm. but they're also very famous for having really good stealth mechanics. Like a lot of the stealth tropes that you see in video games are mm-hmm. traced back to some of the original Metal Gear games. And so number ten on the list is Solid Snake. Okay, he's he's the guy that's always wearing camo and wearing the. The band, the band around his head, and he's got the beard, and and most of the games he has an eye patch. Yeah, so he's got the eye patch, right? Yep. And, yeah, is that a missing eye situation, or is he trying to see better in the dark? I believe his eye is missing from some okay. of his shenanigans. Okay. Yeah. Some some people might recognize he was in one of the Super Smash Bros. games, mm-hmm. and that was a big deal. But anyways, like I was saying, that those games involve a lot of stealth and blowing things up and then getting out without being seen and that type of deal. Mm-hmm. And the Metal Gear Solid series is pretty lengthy. It's been go- the first one I think came out in like the er- like mid to early 90s and they've been making them ever since. So Solid Snake. Okay. I think that that's a good that's a good addition. I actually have a quick question. So I'm assuming I know what we're doing here. We are ranking these folks not by their prowess as spies, correct? This is sort of the pop culture relevance, fame, little bit of their effectiveness kind of all thrown in together. It's factored in. It's factored in, but I would say the probably a bigger bigger factor in my weight here is cultural relevance and okay. number of missions maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah so it's all okay. like i, I realized not everyone's gonna know who he is but he's all, he's also gen- like a good representative of of the video game spy culture oh and i'm not i don't dispute him at all i think he should be on the list i think he's depending on which circles you run in like really famous right exactly yeah so going immediately to someone a little less famous than that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever read any of the Vince Flynn books? No, but I know you love those books. I got really into Vince Flynn in high school and mm-hmm. then college. And unfortunately, he passed probably five years ago now. Mm-hmm. And 
the series has been continued pretty pretty well mm-hmm. by a guy named Kyle Mills. Okay. But basically the story follows this CIA operative special forces. It's kind of he goes back and forth on who he and he spends a lot of time with Navy SEALs. He's just a an American counterintelligence guy and it's really modern stuff, so he's almost always interacting with folks in the Middle East or domestically and mm-hmm. they're they're not gonna he's never gonna I don't think he ever won any like serious writing awards because they're yeah. quick and they're fun and they're just the the and the character so the character is Mitch Rapp. That's the, okay. the name of the guy. And I just love the books. And I know several people that read that. I think it's kind of like if you've read one, you've probably read most of them. Yeah. And they kind of follow the same formula every time, but it doesn't matter. You still love them. But that's, I like that. I think that that's really, it, like the familiarity of somebody like that who can do that sort of book well, people underestimate how difficult that is and how pleasant that is. Right. So, and unfortunately, like I said, Vince Lynn died a couple years ago, but he's, the, the stories are being carried on pretty well. And mm-hmm. these are, these are cool because they, they kind of blend like a really everyday kind of segments. And, w- and what also is kind of neat is that the, the perspective often shifts to his counterpart who like operates on the bureaucratic side of all of this and mm-hmm. helps run. It's like a higher up at, at CIA and kind of runs interference on, on that end for him. Cause obviously he's very roguish and doesn't always like to play by the rules. Of course. They never do. They no. don't like the rules. Well, that's the thing. The people that are typically attracted to this profession have some kind of rebellious streak in them already. Yeah, they're usually orphans. <laughs> Almost always orphans. Almost invariably they are orphans. That's true of our good friend Mitch Rapp. Yeah. Uh, is he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course really. he is. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but they actually came out with a movie. I don't remember what it was called. American, American Assassin, maybe? Oh, was that a Vince Flynn? Yeah, and I think Michael Keaton was in it. But it, the, he was. I think he was the bad guy, right? I think. Or, or he like, Keaton, you're like, like he's training the good guy, and then he turns out to be bad or something. Maybe if he was based off of a character in the books called Stan Hurley, he's like the Godfather. Like, I'll show you yeah. the ropes, kid. I used to do this type deal. Okay. Who, who never ended up being villainous in the books, but I could see them making that change for the movies. I didn't actually mm-hmm. see it, but I heard it was pretty good. Yeah, I saw the trailer for it, and I actually thought it looked pretty entertaining. I, I've enjoyed this renaissance of Michael Keaton, so he oh. he's enough to kind of get me interested. Yeah, that was actually a prequel. Which he wrote a book called American Assassin, which was like ninth or tenth in the series, mm-hmm. and kind of explained his his background, his his origin story of sorts. Mm-hmm. Anyways. We spent a little too long on Mitch Rat, but I I love those books and still keep up with the series, so definitely worth a mention or a All spot right. on the list. I think. Yeah, I think that probably going to be one of the more like currently relevant people on this list. Well, we'll see. Okay, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited because there's a couple that I really want to make appearances that probably shouldn't, but that I think will. Here's one that I think is on your list is Austin Powers. Yes, Austin Powers. I am already arguing that he should be higher on this list. <laughs> the only reason he's lower is because his actual prowess as a spy is essentially non-existent. However, however, <laughs> so here's what I think. I think you need to take the spy's prowess 
and sort of scale it to the the difficulty of their villains and their world. Because, like, if we were talking about Spy Fox, his, like, the complexity of his plots are less than the complexity of the plots in, you know, let's say, Snake's world. So it's important that we scale how good of a spy they are. Austin Powers always saves the day. He always does. Yes, his villains are somewhat boobish, but he (laughs) saves the day. That's true. Usually through some some judo chop. <laughs> There's always a judo chop involved. I actually this so I'm glad that Austin Powers is coming up because I was just on vacation with my family and my brother in law Steve was there, as was Felicia's boyfriend Seamus, and I don't know if maybe somebody passed a little bit of gas mm. or something, but happily all of the young men in the house were very familiar with the fat bastard. What he does when he passes gas, so we were able to reenact that much to the chagrin of all of the other people in the house. That is a bit that, for all those involved, is a real delight. And for anyone yes. not involved, is a real pain to sit through. Yeah, especially if they're somewhat sophisticated and don't think a horrible, disgusting fart is funny. If they're just, like, trying to read a book to better themselves. Like, my mom <laughs> loves to puzzle. Like, if they're just trying to be and a bunch mm. of idiots are are farting and then, like, doing a crappy Scottish accent about how much the fart smells. Well, and usually if it's really a bad enough fart that it's time to do the whole routine, the yeah. smell is probably still lingering, which means not only do you have to deal with the yes. bad routine, you're still dealing with the after effects of the fart itself. Absolutely. I think it's probable that if a fart is smelly enough to warrant this discussion, it will last as long as the discussion. Or at least, I would say, halfway through. It at least gets to the, Dep- even Stink would say, that stinks. Fart. Plus crap. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. It's obviously there's a lot of fact. There are a lot of factors involved. You know, is there a draft in the room? Is there a yeah. ceiling fan? You know, like mm-hmm. there, there's a. What's the temperature like? Is anybody there, in a sumo suit? <laughs> is, is is your wire fighting team there? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> Austin that, Powers that, is great. <laughs> so I think. Yeah, and after so after a lengthy, well, actually, it's worth mentioning that the fat bastard is himself a spy in the yeah, earlier movies. That is true. He tries to go legit. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> so for those of you at home, we're doing the oh, cars are the enemy. This the little thing with his hand. Okay, <laughs> number eight is Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Yep. Number seven. His star was bright for probably five years, mm-hmm. and outside of that, has been pretty irrelevant. But I know, I, and I never actually watched this show. But when it was on, it was a big deal. At least I in- think I know who you're going to say because I I don't have much love for this character if it's who I think it is. But I remember people really getting into this. I wonder. It's uh, Jack Bauer from Twenty Four. Yeah. I had a feeling Jack Bauer was going to make an appearance. He's not a guy I, I've ever, I've literally never watched more than eight seconds of an episode. Maybe it like came on after a football game back in the day. Mm-hmm. But I remember people were obsessed with this show. My mom was really, really into 24. Oh. Like, <laughs> like, I don't remember her really getting that worked up about a TV show, except for 
All My Children, and then <laughs> now Blue Bloods, which mm-hmm. are kind of different shows. Like she's like you know that's kind of that's kind of the circle she runs in as far as yeah. as far as TV goes. She was like as into a TV show as you can be with Twenty Four, and I w- I would watch it occasionally with her and be a little lost, but just generally enjoy it. I, I, I just mm-hmm. I loved the little trope of not trope. It's pretty unique to the show of pretty much any time a new scene starts, like the clock reminds you what time it is. So every season is, is 24 hours? Yeah, exactly. So every episode is one hour in time. That's wild. Which is just a fascinating concept. Yeah. And I'm glad that it worked, because that's the kind of show you hear like, oh, ABC is doing a show where every hour is an hour, and it's, yeah. it's, it's one season, or like one half season nowadays with the way TV works, and it's like, well, those first 12 hours weren't so good, and we're not going to do that anymore. And I think 24 was on for like five seasons, maybe six. Yeah, it, it, I agree. That's one of those ones, it just kind of feels like a gimmick, but it right. didn't work out that way. People really loved that. Yeah, and so it's, it's weird to talk about a, a show and a spy that <laughs> neither of us actually watched. Yeah. But... I'm I'm confident he fits the bill. Yeah, absolutely. So that's numbers ten through seven, which mm-hmm. means it's time for our not top three. Okay. Number there should there should definitely be a few on this one. Yeah, number three. It, this could very easily have actually made the list because it's based on a very famous television show, or mm-hmm. not a very famous television show, but a television show. Do you remember a couple years ago that a movie came out called The Man from Uncle? Yes, it stars a mustacheless Henry Cavill, right? Exactly. Okay, yeah, and it's U dot N dot, right? It's like yeah, it's, they're it's, yeah. Uncle is an acronym for mm-hmm. something, something yeah. covert. Okay. The show apparently is is quite good, and people really liked it. Mm-hmm. The movie was not well received at all, and yeah. I don't I don't know anything about the prowess of the spies in the film. I just know that it was poorly reviewed and i was kind of reaching for some some bottom threes so that's Mm -hmm. why the man from uncle is here okay and that is is that that was directed by somebody kind of good wasn't it i'm not sure but i think there was some hype surrounding yeah i want to say like there was reason to believe that that was gonna be good right i think Mm -hmm. i was actually like the the trailer looked good and i actually really enjoy watching henry cavill when he's yeah like it's too bad that he's been made into a, a poopy Superman because I actually think he's gorgeous and really like watching him. For example, I agree. I'm, I'm really excited that he's in the new Mission Impossible. Like, I'm yeah, really, that's a that's a wonderful symmetry for this discussion. Yeah, exactly. And so, is he sort of like pseudo villainous in uh, this new one, or like he's wait, no, he's like a CIA guy. This is this organizational rivalry again, right? I think so because in the yeah. trailer, like someone Alec Baldwin maybe is like. If things go south, he will not hesitate to take you out. And then yeah. immediately <laughs> yeah. smash cuts to Henry Cavill standing there with his mustache going, that's the job. So, and then, yeah, I'm really excited. And the, <laughs> the campiness is going way up because <laughs> there's also a, a shot later in the trailer where he's like leaning out of the side of a helicopter with a very large grenade launcher or some kind of Gatling gun type thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, to see him as a foil. I think that it could be a good thing for uh, our friend Henry Cavill. Like, I think that there could be a slightly different direction to his career. I think we've realized that the Henry Cavill taking everything too seriously thing, it's not working. You know what I would like to see is the Hemsworth arc. I yes. Would like, yep. I would like to see him riff a little bit, be a little mm-hmm. funny. I think. Yeah. And I think there's 
there's room for that. I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he has to be the the Superman for a little while longer, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, he could be a, a Channing Tatum, too. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be Channing Tatum, but he could do a little something. <laughs> <laughs> I love Channing Tatum. Everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> Number two on our not top three list <laughs> is 006 from the Pink Panther. Yes. Only because he's an extremely competent spy. He's an by excellent Owen, spy. Yep. But unfortunately, as you know, he's mm. 006, which means he's one shot us a big time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 006. You know what that means? <laughs> God, I think this is going to turn into just a discussion of actors I need more of. Where <laughs> the hell are you, Clive Owen? What is I am doing? the world's biggest Clive Owen. Nobody likes Clive Owen as much as I do. I need more Clive Owen. What could he possibly be doing that's more important than being a spy in my life? I don't know, but I cast him in everything. Like, every time I hear something's coming out, I'm like, you know who'd be perfect for that role? Clive Owen. Like, I wanted Clive Owen to play Cormoran Strike so badly in the TV show. I just need Clive Owen. You know who Clive Owen would play really well (laughs) in a movie about his life? Who? You. I think Clive Owen's a good fit for you, Mike. Thank you. I like I like to think that I've got some Clive Owen qualities. I'm definitely not like haunted enough to be played by Clive Owen though. Like nothing also, totally screwed up has happened in my life. And your jawline. I think those are the two big things. Yeah, I'm not nearly sharp enough. I, I my jawline is far too soft to be played by him. <laughs> or a spy in general. That's one thing that's true of most spies. The jawline yeah. is prominent. That's very true. So anyways, 006, even though he successfully stops the gas mask bandits. It doesn't get credit for it, though, no. to be fair. <laughs> oh my god, it's the gas mask bandits. <laughs> Don't turn around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number one on our on our list of not top three professional spies. I don't know if you saw this film, Central Intelligence, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart. No, the the tagline for that one is sometimes all you need is a a a little heart and a big Johnson or something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was. I, I went into it expecting not much, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. was <laughs> still somehow disappointed in this movie. But yeah. it, it, it's not the Rock's fault. It's this is more just a me finding fault with the or, or just just trying to find some way to put it a spy on my not top three there really aren't that many that i could think of that i wanted to be in our not top three the, the movie is silly but the the, the character's name is bob stone <laughs> oh god it's, it's pretty silly it's it's probably worth a watch one time i remember you're really not liking that as much as i so i remember there was like a two movie streak of Films that totally took people by surprise that they liked that I assumed you would effectively lower your expectations and just kind of enjoy. And it was Central Intelligence and the uh, the Jumanji movie. Ugh. And you Which were coincidentally so... is both The Rock and Kevin Hart and both. Yeah, but... and you really didn't like either of them. I, I, I hated Jumanji. I know you did. This movie, this movie I giggled. Like, it was a funny yeah. movie. It was just... I, I'm a stickler for, I don't know why, but like even in B movies where the plot is not important, if there are obvious holes or like really contrived ways to to move the yeah. plot along, it bothers me. It pulls yeah. me out of it. 
as far I will, as, yeah, as far into it, like I'm not that far into it in the first place. But this this was like, like how can we? What's the easiest way to get Dwayne the Rock and Kevin Hart? It's like it's like the Tostito scoop. It's the easiest method for for getting salsa into my mouth. It's the easiest way to get the rock and Kevin Hart into my life. And it's kind of lazy and doesn't necessarily function as well as people think it does. Yeah. I'm with you. I know you and I joke about how snooty Chris Ryan is from the ringer sometimes, (laughs) but he does have a a phrase I like, which is movie bullshit. Yes. Like it feels like movie bullshit. I don't care if it's, it's like movie magic or movie like goofing or whatever, but movie bullshit where you're like that just, you did that just because you couldn't think of a better way to get those two people to meet. Exactly. It's yeah. That's exactly what it is. So I want to throw two on here for the nod tops. Yes, please. Uh, One, I want to put Tom Brady in the Sealy mattress commercial. It's this weird commercial (laughs) where he's wearing like a sport coat and a turtleneck, and some weird butler guy who's who's he's like a butler slash quartermaster. He's sort of like a Q knockoff. (laughs) Takes him into a room with a mattress, and he's like. It's perfect. Oh, I hate it. It's very emblematic of like this weird ladder stage Tom Brady that I'm I'm not as into. Yeah, that was odd. I also want to put one that is not technically a secret agent, but I just want to mention him anyway. The Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> uh, and no, I'm not talking about the actual Scarlet Pimpernel. I'm talking about the Scarlet Pimpernel that is so admired by our good friend Baldrick. <laughs> The Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> oh, Mr. Adder, he's so amazing. He's so dreamy, Mr. B. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone keeping keeping track at home, that's that's Black Adder, which yeah. we have discussed at points on the show before. Yeah, if you haven't watched it, watch it. It will continue to come up on this show, and hopefully we'll figure more prominently into our future as our listeners start listening to it or yeah. start watching it. If anyone needs it, let me know. I've, I've got the series on DVD, so. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Numero Seis. Mm-hmm. Numero Seis is someone I've tried to get on a list before and ended up sliding off our list, so I'm hoping she sticks. Okay. Number six is Natasha Romanov, a.k.a. The Black Widow. Okay, I like that, because she makes a lot of sense and works very effectively as a spy. Now, does she work as... An interplanetary guardian who's fighting against literal gods? No. Spy? Yes. Yeah, forget forget her in Avengers 3. Let's let's think more like original Avengers, Natasha Romanov, Iron Man, Black mm-hmm. Widow where she's kind of actually operating kind of as a spy. Yeah, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is the perfect example. Yeah. Yeah, I and also more so her her involvement in the comics is a little more spy-y. But yeah. I think I think she's a good stand-in for comic book spies. Or not a stand-in. Like I think um, amongst comic book spies, she's up there in terms of the most famous and well-known. Yeah, she's probably number 1. Yeah. But also I think she just she makes sense as a, you know, to have someone from the comic book world. And in the last 10 years since the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been a thing, she has become like larger done life she's a lot of people are really really into the character there's been enough groundswell support for her that Mm -hmm. i think marvel is seriously considering doing a like a prequel spinoff movie focusing i think that that would be really fun especially if they made it an actual spy movie which they would have they would have to do that they they couldn't do 
it would have to exactly be like that. And that, I really hope it happens. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's, that's the old Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just recap once before we re-rank everything to, yeah. this, this week? Let's try it out. Number five, this one is for you, friend of the pod, and new, <laughs> new, uh, ardent critic. This one is for <laughs> dear friend Emma. Number five is... Oh, I know what this is going to be. Yeah. Number five is Maxwell Smart of the TV show Get Smart and the the remake movie Get Smart. Mm -hmm. In the movie, he is portrayed by Steve Carell. But really, I, I think he belongs high on this list because the original Get Smart was probably the first spy parody that had been done. Because... Yeah. Because... The golden age of, of spy content was in the, I don't know, probably like 50s, 60s, would you say? Yeah, I think that's, I think that the like Ian Fleming, John LeCar kind of era, like 50s to 70s, is probably yeah, the best. Yeah, and so this was the first time, I, I think, or probably the most well-known attempt yeah. to really parody it and make it into something a little sillier. Mm-hmm. And the movie, the, I've not watched much of the, the show, and by that I mean I've never watched the show, but the movie is... <laughs> fantastically hilarious yeah <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen it steve carell plays like the cia or whatever operative that is in the office doing like field reports and watching as all the other spies go and do their thing and has to watch from afar and admire and they all kind of treat him like shit and then for some reason like all of the spies identities are compromised and they can't send any of them out in the field and so steve carell is all of a sudden forced into action <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering whether the so I'm assuming that that is the plot device on the actual show, and if so, that's incredible because that's a that's kind of a an idea that's played out in a lot of future cop and detective. And I mean, I'm thinking obviously <laughs> of the other guys. It's the same thing with Melissa McCarthy and Spy. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of other stories that pick up on that thread. I can think of another very good one that will be an honorable mention, but. Yeah, I can also think of a, a yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. It's it, this is this is the most effectively done and Austin Powers is there too, but but Maxwell Smart gets credit for doing it first. Yeah. And <laughs> he's really funny. <laughs> he follows a guy into the bathroom. <laughs> one of he's tailing somebody and he's trying to listen to a conversation that he's having with another guy and he's at the urinal and like he stops peeing intermittently whenever he starts talking. Yeah. <laughs> and the way the camera is set up, you just see Steve Carell, like, completely straight-faced, not moving at all, and you hear his peeing. It's kind of, it's the same, it's the same Austin Powers thing, where he has to pee, uh, to impersonate the statue <laughs> that he's unplugged. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all, it's all somewhat more clever. Like, it's yeah. not way more clever, but it's a little bit more clever. Yeah, it's paying a little bit more actual respect to the source material than Austin Powers is, I think. Yeah. Although, there times come up when Austin Powers is literally quoting word for word, so... You were right about that. Yeah. Okay, that was number five. Mm-hmm. Number four, another very famous book spy. Number four is Sam Fisher from the Splinter Cell series of novels. Oh, I like that. That's a Are good you familiar? Thing. So I know the video games. I never yeah. actually, I never actually read the books, but I played the video games. Yeah, I guess I kind of forgot that there was a very, very popular video game series featuring Sam Fisher. When I said that Solid Snake was the only video game guy on the list, 
I was thinking more of, of Tom Clancy as an author and, yeah. but his name is attached to all those games. Yeah. It's a very famous series of novels and a very famous series of games that I somehow forgot about. That's really funny because I actually didn't even know that the books existed. I only knew of the games. Yeah, no, the 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 games are based off of his series of novels, and I th- I know he's got several characters. Like Sam Fisher is the one that you think of from Splinter Cell with like the the night vision goggles and the black suit and you know all mm-hmm. that junk. Yeah, but the they had, they're they're making a TV show that's also based on a series of Tom Clancy novels with John Krasinski. I think it's uh, Jack Ryan. Have you seen the trailer? Wait, that's going to be a TV show? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that was going to be a movie. I believe it's a TV show. No, I, you're, I'm sure you're right. Wow, that's interesting. That mm-hmm. I think that... So are they doing like a, a limited series, like eight episode hour long type deal? Or are they doing like a... Do you know it's going to be like a serial? I don't know the details. Interesting. I, know, I, I think I think Amazon's doing it. I, I'd have okay. to look it up. Interesting. Uh-huh. So I'm actually, can I just point out, I'm looking at Tom Clancy's uh, Wikipedia page right now. Two things of note. He has more than 100 million copies of his books in print. Well, he's he's a high volume shooter. I think he writes like three to four books a year. Yeah, he also, so it says his literary career began in 1984 when he sold The Ren, the Hunt for Red October. Holy shit, that was his first book. Yeah. For five grand. Oh my god. No. I hope somebody optioned that script for a little bit of dough. Like I hope so, you at least saw some money off of that. You're a finance guy. Adjusting for inflation, how much would that be in today's dollars? I five grand nineteen eighty four. No, like like ten, fifteen maybe? Yeah, not that much. Like yeah, probably fifteen grand. It's not a ton. Not enough for what the hunt for Red October is. Yeah, because let's. I'm trying to think about this. So, like five grand, you probably could have bought a low end Toyota. So, so new, okay. New. So let's call it four times. So, like a twenty grand. So, like a twenty thousand dollars. It's not that much. No, for for, for Tom for the, Clancy, the hunt for Red October. Harrison Ford was in that movie. I, I believe. God, I hope the movie rights weren't involved in that sale. I believe. Sean Connery was in that movie as well, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that I think that there have been a couple of if I'm remembering correctly, Harrison Ford was in that. I want to I think I think I think Harrison Ford is the protagonist and Sean Connery is the antagonist, I want to say. I see. Well, anyways, I'm sure he's made up for it uh since then. I'm sure Tom Clancy's doing doing pretty well for himself. He's dead. So okay. he's not doing as well for himself now, but he was doing great. I think he made up for his slow start financially. Okay. Sorry about that, Tom Clancy. That's okay. Sorry uh, <laughs> sorry to the Clancy family. The Clancy estate. <laughs> the Clancy estate is doing a just fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he, he gets, like, when you think of the the night ops kind of spy, the mm-hmm. one with the night vision goggles and all black that has, like, you know, a parachute and that kind of thing. I think I think of like the Splinter Cell and the, totally like the, like the silence pistol. Yeah, choke someone out with your you know like quietly grab them behind and like like throw them into a, a broom closet. Like that's what's weird is the, the next three, the top three are aren't really like under the shadow of darkness kinds of spies all the time. You know, like yeah, I, yeah. I think there's a distinction. Like there's the highfalutin, mm-hmm. yep, playboy kind of stuntman spy and then there's the you never knew he was there kind of well okay so i'm glad you brought that up because i actually think there's a couple there's a couple more types of spy that i think 
I'm really glad you brought that up because I was just thinking about there's some distinctions. There's the we don't need to use names yet. I'm sure it'll come up. But there's there's a there's a real archetype for the classic super spy. Yep. There is like the black ops type spy. There's a slight variation on that, which I'm guessing will also come up, which is sort of the modern black ops type spy, where they're not actually in black clothing, but they're really good at blending lighting. in. Yes. And then I think there's a different spy, which I'm betting is not going to show up on your list, because I don't know how familiar you are with him. But I think somebody like this should rank highly, which is the really effective administrator type spy. Somebody mm. who's just really good at tradecraft. So I'm excited. Well, the, the top three are going to be fun to discuss. Yeah. But before we do that, I want to go through a very lengthy list of honorable mentions. I was surprised yeah. at how long this list got. Mm-hmm. I've actually sorted them into categories. So Smart. the just missed it. My, maybe my personal favorite spy on this list, Johnny English. Yeah. <laughs> he was one of the first ones I wrote. Definitely my favorite spoof spy and also forced into action <laughs> kind of the same way Maxwell Smart is. Yeah. All of this, which, by the way, this is a terrible idea. Every single spy in uh, MI7 shows up. <laughs> Shows up at the funeral for Agent One, yeah, and they put a bomb in the casket, and they all die. All of them. <laughs> and so, where is Johnny English at the time? He's at the perimeter, screening cars as they enter the the facility. And the the head Pegasus, the head of MI Seven, says, "Everything in order, English, <laughs> sir. You are now entering the most secure location." In the whole of England. <laughs> and yes, as he's, yes. And as he's like leaning in to say this, the bomb goes off behind him. <laughs> I remember the fireball. Like I have yeah. a mental image of the fireball behind him. <laughs> and so this administrative goober that can't even get the right files for Agent One, he can't even get the submarine hatches right, is pressed no. into duty. Can I just say, I think my favorite visual from all of Johnny English is him trying to spin the chamber on his gun. Or he's, he might even have, I don't even remember if he has a semi-automatic, whatever he has. All of a sudden, all of the bullets fall out. <laughs> That's like my favorite visual of that whole series. If you haven't seen Johnny English, it's really worth your time. I think, yeah. I, I think it's so funny. I don't get tired of it. It, it's really well done. And, it's hard to say no to John Malkovich as a, a villain. Yep. And also Natalie Imbruglia. Who, yes! Yeah. Who is, I, is she in other movies or is this no. like a one movie role? <laughs> Dylan and I looked this up because we wanted to know, like, does she have an acting career? And she doesn't. She's just in this movie. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Number two, well, in no particular order, Lancelot, yeah. Eggsy from Kingsman. Yeah. Okay. I... I he know. probably shouldn't be on the list, but he's close. Only because he's just so recently been on the scene. Yeah, and and like I said, he's in the just missed it category because I really he probably needs with it. one more good one. He probably if he has another good movie, we're talking about this. Exactly. This is another archetype: is the retired special forces CIA guy oh. that has a oh. very specific set of skills. So the honorable mention here is Brian Mills, aka Liam Neeson in Taken. Wow, I didn't know he had a name. His name yeah. is Brian. I just assumed that they called him Liam Neeson in the movie. I they should have. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. I, I, I will find you, and I will kill you. That, yeah. that that's a good movie. Say what you will about the next two. Yeah. But 
Taken, the original Taken is a really good movie. Agreed. Totally agreed. It's sort of, it's interesting that it blends sort of the Charles Bronson death wish genre with the like actual spy genre. It's a mix and match that does, isn't done as much as you kind of would expect. Well, it's done a little bit more now, but I think yes. Taken, Taken is part of the reason why. Yeah. So you already mentioned this one, Susan Cooper and Bradley Fine from Spy. So it's mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy and Jude Law, which I found to be quite delightful. <laughs> Halfway through the movie when it turns and Melissa McCarthy is unleashed, that movie gets really, really funny. Yeah. But I, I love that movie a lot. This one I think we'll get probably some heat for for not including on the list. I just didn't don't watch the show. Archer. Do you, do you watch Archer? Oh, you know, the good thing is our good friend Alex does not actually listen to this pod <laughs> because Archer's exclusion would really draw his ire. He would not be pleased. I do not watch Archer, but yeah. I'm aware that it exists mainly because Alex loves to talk about it. We, I don't know, maybe we should just throw it on there because like so many people love the show. And from what I understand, it's very good. Yeah. I just, I just don't watch it. Yeah. I don't, I, now I don't really know why I don't watch it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good excuse. It's on Adult Swim, right? I think so. I, I want to say it started on FX and is now on Adult Swim or something that's like not, that. That might be right. Yeah. The last last one I might just missed it is from another very popular TV show that I just never watched. You ever watched Chuck? No. What the heck is Chuck? Chuck is like this. this it's it's a goofy show where this guy like for, I don't remember how it happens, but he's just a regular fuck named Chuck, and he like <laughs> and he somehow gets like an actual spy's like brain patterns like scanned into his head and so like oh yeah can, this is coming i'm getting i'm remembering this now he can like randomly and occasionally remember like really like like how to do spy things and and like gets dragged into all these it's it's an interesting concept where he's like involved in all these high level espionage type deals but he's just like a random fucking guy that only at like just the right time remembers how to actually be a spy uh, yes, I'm remembering this now, and I th- I want to say he's played by some like goofball who we've seen in other things. Yeah, I don't know who it is, but it's a pretty goofy show. I never got really into it, but yeah, I it, I I know a lot of people that I know that have watched it really like it. So honorable mm-hmm. mention. Okay, going into the cartoons, you <laughs> mentioned you mentioned one of my favorites, Spy Fox, which yeah. I. I think Spy Fox and Dry Cereal is just one of the most pleasurable. If you guys have ever played like any of the old humongous entertainment, like Pajama Sam or Putt Putt, it's the same same type of like kids puzzle game, mm-hmm. except it's Spy Fox. And the the plot in Spy Fox Dry Cereal is that there's this evil mastermind goat that is in the process of basically making it so that cows can't produce milk anymore, and so. He'll corner the world global market for milk at the goat milk market. <laughs> Smart. Especially because this was like the late nineties before all of the alternative milks had come out. Yeah, exactly. Goat was... milk was still a thing then too. Mm-hmm. So I, I love Spy Fox. It's really good. The old Spy vs. Spy cartoons, which I'm sure you've seen. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I put that on my list. I'm not like a s I wouldn't call myself a spy versus spy guy. But I think that uh, Allegis's dad would let you hear it if he didn't include Spy versus Spy. I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I just I, I they're so goofy with their long, like weird pointed noses and the hats yeah. and like 
they're just silly. They're just so silly. And I also like they had a run maybe 10 years ago where they were being used in Mountain Dew advertisements and they would yep. like try to outdo each other to get their hands mm-hmm. on the Mountain Dew. And it's, it's very, uh, it's very Looney Tunesy. Like they're using like yeah. goofy kind of methods to, to mm-hmm. trick each other. And they're, they're really cool. I'm a big fan of that genre. I feel like it's a really difficult, it's a really scary decision to make as a writer to write no details to just have like a plot that purely speaks for itself. And I know it's dumb to say that about spy versus spy because it's so goofy, but like that's a ballsy move to have such a plain setting with just these weird looking dudes. And it really works in such a weird way. It's amazing. I really, yeah. I really, I, I Googled it and, and read a bunch before we did this. And I, I ended up doing it for a lot longer than I meant to because they're just so <laughs> delightful. Yeah. Next is <laughs> Perry the Platypus from Phineas and Ferb. Nice. He's like a fantastic that. spy. Up mm. next, Arjan are two more in the in the kids zone. Mm-hmm. Secret agent Cody Banks, played by Frankie Muniz. Mm-hmm. Carmen and Junie from Spy Kids. Uh, okay, yeah, spy, they should probably they shouldn't be on the list, but they need to be discussed because they were big. They were Spy Kids was a huge deal. Yeah, like a really big deal. Probably more of a big deal than we're remembering because that was at a time when, like, that was original content. Mm-hmm. And it hit at a time when, like, I think the teen movies were still big. Teen movies aren't as big now. It's more like you're either a kid's movie or you're an adult's movie or you're a superhero movie. And this was this was kind of a, it hit at the right time, I think. Completely agreed. And I, like, I really enjoyed the sequel as well. Spy yeah, Kids Th- Two, Island of Dreams, or whatever it was. That was, I think, Spy Kids Two is the best. We I, saw, I, yeah, we saw Spy Kids Two for my tenth birthday. It was like the one like movie theater birthday that I got. Mm-hmm. I always begged my mom to let me do it, and we did it yeah. for Spy Kids Two. I'm glad I picked that movie. That's big. Was that well was. Like, I'm glad that worked for you. Me too. I have a few more game gaming spies. Mm-hmm. One is the spy from TF2. I would get murdered if I didn't m- mention him. Okay. That I, this is dumb. That was literally the first spy I thought of. I don't know why, because it's not even close to the most famous or relevant spy at all. But that was the first one I thought of. Very quick, Team Fortress Two is a very famous, yeah, team-based shooter that has been being played by a lot of people for a long time. And you, it is unbelievably based. addictive. It's so much fun. And if you've ever heard of Overwatch, Overwatch is basically like a, it's like TF, it's T, TF2 did it first and like some yeah. would argue it better, but the spy is one of the classes and he wears this like blue suit and has this weird eloping stride and can become invisible. And if you sneak up behind someone and get him with your little shiv, it's like a one hit kill and yeah. playing spies is, is, is really cool. And, and Kyle's brother can walk just like the spy. Yeah. It's very good. And uh, so the other one is a significantly lesser known game called Counter Spy that I wanted to mention because the aesthetic is so cool. I think you actually might you have played sh- it when you did. You showed it yeah. to me, and it was so cool. It's a beautiful it's, game. It's gorgeous, and it's this cool game where it's a side scroller, and at any time mm-hmm. you can shift the perspective so that you're now shooting into the into and out of the screen. I've yeah. never played a game that shifts the perspective like that quite that way. It's it's a really cool game and a fun homage to like spy genre mm-hmm. the last one is the filthy spies from the resistance have you ever played the resistance with us yes yeah those spies 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just this is just a, a, a plug for the Resistance, which is one of our favorite games and one of our earliest sponsors. I wish. <laughs> a couple more spies that just didn't quite fit into any of these other categories. Tobin Frost from Safe House. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Yeah, just to get the Denzel reference in here. Yeah. James Clayton from this movie that no one has seen, but that I really like, called The Recruit. He's a he's a spy in training. It's Colin Farrell and Al Pacino. Have you seen this movie? Ye- oh my yeah! I saw I saw like an hour of it on TV like ten years ago. But it's not I don't a good movie. Anything about it? I really liked it. It was mm-hmm. like it, it. In retrospect, it's it's a it's a pretty pretty rip offy kind of movie but mm-hmm. like i hadn't seen any of the movies it was ripping off yet so i thought it was like the greatest thing i'd ever seen at the time yeah and the last one is the nameless bothan spies referenced at the end of return of the jedi when he nice. says many bothan sp- spies died to bring us these plans mm-hmm. so that's the end of my honorable mentions list okay lengthy as it was let's get into the top three because we're actually getting a little long here yeah number three jason Bourne, and i i think he's who you were referencing earlier when you were saying like the black ops spy that kind yes. of operates in broad daylight <laughs> absolutely he's the he's sort of the new model of the black ops spy because he's black ops in training but not in his actual sort of methods exactly yeah and he, he kind of has the chuck thing going for him where at least in the first movie he's like remembering as he goes how to be such a badass yeah, I watched, so I've actually been hankering to rewatch these recently, and I just mentioned it to Caroline. I'm sort of pushing the boundaries of her genre interests, <laughs> because we've agreed that her favorite genre is the nonviolent thriller. <laughs> so I'm trying to sort of like trick her into pushing that into like heist films, and now maybe a spy movie here or there. Long story short, I watched about five minutes of Jason Bourne the other day, The Bourne Identity. The part where he's in the bank in Zurich. Oh my god. So he's he's just standing there and the guy goes, You, red bag! And all of a sudden, I think it's the first time we see him like actually fight. He just stops. He pauses. And you look and he's wearing that sweater with the bullet holes in it that nobody's noticed. And he just stands there. And you can see this look of resignation in his eyes. He's like, fuck. I'm going to have to kill some people. I'm going to have to kill some fools. And he just (laughs) stops, he slows down, and then he proceeds to take out a whole, like, unit of soldiers. It's amazing. Also, that scene where he's, like, in that, like, dimly lit apartment. I don't remember which movie it is. I think it's the first one. Yeah. And that guy jumps in, like, through the fucking window. That is the first one. That's an incredibly violent fight scene. It's brutal. That's where he kills him with the pen, right? Yeah. Then he, like, leaves him in the bathtub. He's bleeding everywhere. It's, like, a super gory fight scene. He's amazing because he's such a... uh, He shouldn't be believable, and he's not believable, I guess, if you really want to put your your douche hat on. But he feels so believable in these movies, and he feels believable taking out people in so many different scenarios. Like, I love when he, he kills the guy with the pen. My favorite is when he kills Clive Owen, because it's Clive Owen, but it's such a great scene of Clive Owen, who's a very highly trained spy in his own right, chasing him down through the fields. I think they're in France at the time, I yeah. want to say. They're in, like, the hills in France. And Bourne is just better. He's just better. He absolutely kills his ass. He's just, ah, oh, he's great. He's got that. He's got one. He's, like, riding up the stairs on the dirt bike uh, through the streets of, I think he's in Morocco. He kills the guy with the book. Oh, he, he's 
uh, like probably the most physically intimidating of these spies that we've been talking yeah, about. Absolutely. He's like, he's a little sh- on the shorter end, but like, like, cause most of these guys are pretty svelte and like, don't yeah. necessarily look super strong. Mm-hmm. But Matt Damon in these movies is jacked out of his mind. Yeah. I also love the vulnerability that they play into these movies. Obviously at first he's just totally disoriented because he doesn't know who the hell he is. And that sticks as a through line, but like, he seems to have real relationships. I love the relationship he has with Nikki Parsons, who's the sort of the the green-eared trainee um, mm. spy from the CIA. And they just have a really good back and forth where she's trying to figure out what the hell's going on in the world. And oddly, he's her guide. Like, he's probably the worst possible guide in one sense because he's so jaded. But in another sense, he sees what's really going on and is really like good to her. Yeah, those are those are great films, not including the most recent one, but that's not canon. So number two yeah. is it's it's kind of cheaty, I guess. It's Jim Phelps slash Ethan Hunt. So basically, the Mission Impossible spy. That's not cheating. Yeah, Jim Phelps was the the protagonist of the original Mission Impossible TV show, and then the movies. Mm-hmm. It's been Ethan Hunt, who yeah. most everybody associates with those with that series. And actually, the character, or, uh, John Voight's character in the first movie's name is Jim Phelps. I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, actually him. Or oh, interesting. If or if it's just, like, a nice kind of, like, nod to the, the source material. I never knew that. Yeah. But we've been, we've been talking about these movies a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And how what seems like it should actually be, like, a super campy, kind of like popcorn series of movies has actually turned into in my opinion like a really respectable movie franchise that i am without irony really really excited for now to see this new one and for the second week in a row we have one person to thank or whatever i don't know when these are coming out second out of three weeks thank you brad bird you did this he absolutely did do this for us. And I think that's the turning point because like Mission Impossible was good and you've got the classic scene in there. Mission Impossible 2 was not so good. Mission yeah. Impossible 3 was JJ Abrams and that's when it kind of turned into like, like it started to do like the bigger action. It's when, it's yeah. when they turned into action movies. Mm-hmm. Ghost Protocol is when it turned into really, really good action movies. Yeah. Ghost Protocol is incredible. It's, it's just, it's like if you, so, spoiler, number one is is obvious, there's no point in keeping the suspense. Number one has got to be James Bond. So, number one's going to be James Bond. So, this is like James Bond with all of the sort of guardrails taken off. Like, the, all of the, sort of the constraints are just gone because it's more fun. It's crazy to say that about a movie, like, in, in the direction that these two movies series have taken. James Bond started off as the much more fun series and has slowly sort of changed and become much more, you know, thoughtful in terms of, like, surveillance and aging. And there's a lot of themes that they hit on. Mission Impossible has gone the other way. It was sort of, I think, probably, you know, equivalent. It was meant to just be fun, and but it's now become big and crazy and wild and tom cruise is going to jump off of something every time it's so tongue-in-cheek like in the trailer they're making nods to the fact that tom cruise is still doing this stuff this same old ethan or like oh it's best not to look like they know what they're doing absolutely they totally do so i i I can't wait for that movie and i think he actually is deserving of 
one other cool thing about these movies is a lot of the spies on this list operate by themselves kind of out of necessity. I think yeah. one of the big differences between this, these kinds of movies and the James Bonds or the Jason Bournes of the world is they're really fun team, like almost heisty kind of style. It's movies. very heisty. Yeah. So I, can I just say one more thing that I love about these movies that I think was really smart. I love that Ethan doesn't have a lot of romantic attachments. It's a really smart decision. It's a clearly a very conscientious, like, really thought out decision. I love it because that's one thing that's kind of cool about James Bond is, you know, yeah, love him and leave him or occasionally find a woman like in Honor Majesty's Secret Service or Casino Royale who really matters and make that a point. But it's also distracting and it's 20 minutes of a movie for sure that's just flushed down the toilet for the romance portion. Mission Impossible doesn't do that. Well, Mission Impossible 3 is the one where it happens because yeah. he, the whole thing is he gets married at the end. And I think they envisioned it as a trilogy. And so that was kind mm-hmm. of the way to wrap it up. And Exactly. And then very intelligently, they just completely wrote it out in Mission Impossible 4 and made it kind of an interesting plot point, like the faking her death, like that kind of thing. And they, mm-hmm. they're like, we need to commit to, to this just being about a guy that's married to his profession and being a fucking super spy. So. Absolutely. It makes those two part two parts of the series feel for a lot of reasons, but that's one of the big reasons it feels very distinct. And I'm, there's no end in sight for this franchise, which is great. I love it. I hope not. I I that is a great trailer. Who knows? Anything can happen. But I feel good about this next movie, and I agree. I don't see any reason as long as I keep finding people who are excited to write these. Like ratchet it up, baby. I'm in. <clears throat> you already said it. Number one is James Bond. Yeah. Which we don't have to go into a ton of detail because yeah. I'm confident that we'll be doing another top 10 where we spend a full hour talking about James Bond in some capacity. Yes. So, can, yeah, but, can I use this time to make a quick advertisement? Do it. So, my advertisement is the movies are incredible. And I'm not here to tell you that the movies are lesser than the books because they're not, they're wonderful. The books are awesome. Anybody who likes reading should really take a chance to check out a James Bond. They're quick. They're like, you know, 190 to 270 pages, probably. Big text, sharp, really well written. Ian Fleming is a wonderful writer. And all the books are are like the movies, but with some important thing changed. So you'll feel surprised and interested regardless of whether you've seen the movies or not. Um, so I would say start with Ian Fleming if you're interested. Read one. Read From Russia with... And continuity doesn't matter. Read From Russia with Love is my favorite. Uh, maybe Goldfinger. Read one of those. And then give a shot at some of the extended universe. There's actually some other people who have written some that are really good. I just finished the second Anthony Horowitz, who I love, James this was, Bond novel. This wasn't was so Trigger good. Mortis, right? This was... No. This one was Forever in a Day, which I actually just realized doesn't come out in the U.S. till the fall. I think I got the U.K. version, which oh. makes me very happy. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Um, oh. But, so that's my advertisement. I'd love to hear what you have, your what your spiel is, but my spiel is, check out the books. They're great. It's just, for me, when you watch spy movies and you're like, this is cliched, the reason it's cliched is because of these movies. Yeah. James Bond set the standard for spy films and every single piece of spy content or material that's come out since then draws from it or was inspired by it in some way. Yep. Everyone in the world, if you, if I said Ethan Hunt to you and you were a random person 
You yeah. may or may not know it was from Mission Impossible. You may or may not have heard of Jason Bourne, Sam Fisher, Maxwell Smart. Every single person in in this world knows who James Bond is. So many famous lines, you know, shaken, not stirred, Bond, James Bond. You know, like, I don't know, you can go on and on. But, like, everything in this this whole pod, the reason we're doing this podcast is because of James Bond. And not to say that the content isn't, and, and, and it's not like, it's not like some of the things where we, we'd reference it as like, this is what inspired it in retrospect. You know, you have to understand the context, you know, it, like it was all good. It's all good and it's still good. And it's, it's cool that people are so invested, like culturally invested in who's the next bond, you know, like totally it's, it's, it's way more cultural, culturally relevant than anything else on this list. And I, I just, I don't think anyone's going to seriously have a, a problem with James Bond being number one. Nah, he's number one. He's been the standard for 50 plus years. So, so who, so who did you have? So I've got a couple that I think warrant consideration. One that probably shouldn't be on the list, but that I love is Alex Ryder. So another quick <laughs> shot to old friend, Anthony Horowitz. He's just a kid, James Bond, total ripoff. But as we've kind of pointed out, some of these things, even if they're basic and even if they're ripped off, they can be really well done. And those Alex Ryder books are really well done. Movie, not as much, but Alex Ryder should be maybe considered but there's there's three or four that i think should really genuinely be considered felix lighter so Mm -hmm. felix lighter i know this is we probably won't throw him on eventually because we've already got a james bond representing the james bond verse but felix lighter is his american counterpart who shows up a lot in the books he shows up a lot in the older movies hasn't as much in the most recent ones great appearance from somebody that all of you listeners probably now know from Westworld, but Jeffrey Doctor, what's his, what's his name on the show? Uh, well, Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. never mind. He's, he's Anthony Hopkins's assistant Bernard. So he, good point. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's terrific. So in the books, he, he has some shark accident, and so he's got at least one hook. I want to say he might have two hooks. A lot of things go wrong for him, but he's pretty pretty endlessly cheery. He's very helpful in all Bond's missions. He, he's a really good spy, and especially well done in the old movies. Agreed. All right, but a couple that I think I think we need to really consider. So one is Verloc from The Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad. So that's a, that's a story that inspired a lot of what sort of modern spy thrillers are all about. So Verloc is, an, is a, the secret agent from the title, and he ends up working for an anarchist cause, and things go pretty terribly wrong. He's a really good stand-in for the story about the spy who has something very seriously go wrong and then regrets it very deeply mm. and it f's up their whole world also the spy who gets involved in a political cause that's sort of over their head and a little bit too much for them so i think verloc should probably be on this list uh, probably on the lower end because the secret agent is it's not as boring as it seems it's actually a pretty good book but it seems very snooty and boring but it's actually a really good one another one that i think should be considered probably for the, the back end of this is wormold from our man in havana by Graham Greene. So Graham Greene is very well known for being kind of a snooty writer, but Our Man in Havana is a really fun, really interesting uh, novel about a a guy who works for British intelligence and is stationed in Havana, who's giving all of these fake reports 
of all sorts of activity on the island in order to increase his prestige. And he ends up, I think, becoming like head of the section in Havana because of how detailed his reports are, but he's making it all up. And it's it's really like a pretty... I want to say that was published probably in the, I'd guess, the 50s. Might be the 60s. It's a pretty early spoof of spies. And it's mm. it's more a spoof of like British colonial you know, bureaucracy, but he's a pretty influential figure. He's somebody who I think there's shades of him in all of these spoof characters, the Austin Powerses and the Johnny Englishes. And mm-hmm. So it's another one, but the one that needs to be on this list and I think should probably be as high as like three or four is George Smiley. So George Smiley is the main character in most of John Le Carre's novels. Mm. And he... Ha- interestingly in a, in a way that's different from a lot of these characters has a continuous story so you can read any of the his novels at any point you want and it's not going to spoil it for you but he does have an overarching character arc that runs through all of these stories and part of that is that he ends up getting promoted to be basically the head of they call it the circus he's the head of the british intelligence services he is a chunky middle-aged to like late middle-aged guy who wears these oversized glasses who if he tried to chase down a suspect would probably have a heart attack but he's the smartest guy in the room at all times he's also the quietest he doesn't talk over anybody he just listens and he slowly and effectively solves all of these cases and, and ends up running really effective counterintelligence against the Russians because that's, you know, the enemy at the time. And it's interesting because the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy which was one of the most famous stories that he wrote. It's been made into a couple movies, including one starring Ben Kenobi. Yeah, I think he play. I want to say he plays Smiley. He's He's kind of recreating a real scenario that happened where there was a very famous british spy who turned out to be a soviet double agent and george smiley figures out who it is he flushes him out so he's he's a he's a different archetype he's the quiet ruthlessly efficient administrator type spy and he's Mm. i think the highest expression of that and has been in the star of a lot of great books and interestingly the last thing i'll say he's sometimes the main character and sometimes just on the periphery of the story in a really cool very unique way. He's he's been a great spy for a very long time. Okay, yeah, you're, you're selling me. I like having someone fit that fits that archetype because there's really no one on the list as it stands that is on that side of things more. Yeah. So okay, I think I think he needs to be on there. Then what what do you see as vulnerable on my list or some some areas to do some trimming? So I'd say I think Mitch Rapp is probably somewhat vulnerable. And I think we should probably, we could probably cut out Austin Powers and have a like spoof spy category where mm-hmm. we could include our friends Austin Powers, Maxwell Smart, and I think my friend Wormold. So I think we can sort of make that a representative category of spoof spies, if that's yeah. fair. That's not too sweeping. Yeah, I think if we, yeah. I'd, I'd fuck it. Yeah, let's do that. So I think then I would be, I think we should put Verloc near the bottom of the list, so like, you know, 9-10 area. And then I would maybe slide... I think we could do something as simple as slide everybody from Sam Fisher up one or down one, whichever direction, and move Smiley to four. You put Smiley over Sam Fisher? Yeah, I think Smiley... If you were to take a multi-generational poll of kind of most important, most 
famous spies. Smiley is very high. Okay. Just for me, like the, I don't know, this, I, I tend to put a lot of emphasis on like brand recognition and it's just like, mm-hmm. like, I don't know the name. I, I guess that people don't really know Sam Fisher's name either. I just think like when I think of Tom Clancy, like that's a higher cultural expression of the spy, but mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not really going to quibble with you. Let's, let's put, let's put George Smiley at, at four then. And so leave Ethan Hunt and Jason Bourne at two, three, mm-hmm. then Smiley, yeah. then Sam Fisher. I think our group spoof spy shouldn't go lower than, than six then. Yeah, I think that that will be the right spot for him. So Maxwell Smart, Austin Powers, and Wormold. How, do you, how would you? How would one spell Wormold? Wormold. Okay, so like it sounds. Yep. Okay, I agree with you. I think Mitch Rapp is a little too, probably just too much me really liking him. Mm-hmm. I think I want to keep Jack Bauer because we have to, I think we should have a good TV show spy on here. Yeah. And because 24 was for a time just like, the biggest deal there was. Well, I think if we, I think if we keep everybody else and we just slot Verloc in at nine, I feel good. So we would, I, so the way I would have it set up, it would go Bond, Hunt, Bourne, Smiley, Sam Fisher, our spoof category, Natasha Romanova. Is it Romanova or Romanova? I think it's Romanov. I don't know. Yeah, and then Jack Bauer, then Verloc, then Snake. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I would feel good about that as our list. Well, I mean, that's that's it then. That is our that is our top ten list of fictional spies. That feels like a list, my man. All right, good work, buddy. Hot damn! I'm looking forward to discussing Mission Impossible Six Fallout with you. I am excited about just looking at this list again and just thinking more about it. <laughs> damn, I love spies. Amen, brother. All right, see you around. Riva Dirch. Alrighty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week, but now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at Top10KM. That's all spelled out, Top10KM. Our email, Top10KM, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Or our site, Top10KM.Podbean.com. All forms of communication accepted except for serial killer notes. Please don't send us any of those. If you like the pod, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never have to miss an episode of Top 10 ever again. If you didn't like it, please tell us why. We'll try to make the show better. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod, and our artwork was created by Erin Sant. You can check out her stuff at Sant Design on Instagram. Alrighty, goons. We'll see you next week.